You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. 30 minutes of sacks. For fans, by fans. Brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. You heard at the beginning of the show all that they have to offer. Remember, if you contact them for anything, they will give you a discount if you mention socks in the basement. And if you want a full list of what they do, they take care of all your water problems getting it out of the house, stopping it from getting inside of the house, things like sump pumps and window wells and foundational issues, go to FamilyDry.com and give them a call 24-7 at 708-330-4466. Ed, how are you? I'm doing just dandy. How are you doing in this post-Louis Robert coming off the 60-day IL time? I mean, this this is the best, right? This is what we've been waiting yeah. for for months. You got Robert in the lineup and Jimenez in the lineup. And Jimenez is is just incredible since he got back from that little tweak that he had. I think it was in the groin area over the last couple of days. And Luis Robert, two for five in his first game back. And that doesn't mean he has his timing down yet. It might take a little bit longer. He's going to have his ups and downs like Jimenez did when he first got up. But Aloy is on now. That That's it. It's on. Yeah. He's trying to hit six months worth of home runs in the final two months of the season, it seems like. And I'm all for it. He's doing it by distance, which I appreciate. He's not trying to hit multiple (laughs) home runs in an at-bat. He's just trying to hit them twice as far. Yeah, exactly. Going like two a game on on most games, that'll that'll actually work for him as well. I mean, it's it's incredible. Did the league forget who he was? Because because I, I expected them to do well. But it's like everybody's like, well, you know, I mean, he's just back from injury. So just throw whatever you want to up there. Like, he's he's going to kill you. And I you know what? He is the best hitter on this team. In my opinion, he's the best hitter on this team. He's the most dangerous hitter on this team. In the in the late innings of a ball game, that's the guy I want up there. There are people that say TA, you can make that argument. Remember, he's won a batting title, but I, I still feel like the most dangerous guy, the guy that gets up and says, I'm going to finish you now. I wanna be up there in that moment. I, I always lean towards Jimenez being that guy, and to have that kind of guy in the middle of your order changes your entire team. You have a really tough schedule coming up here. I mean, we talked about this maybe about a month ago, how it was going to go after the All-Star break, and we talked about how you would have the Twins after getting rid of some players, and they're basically done, and you would have the Cubs after they basically got rid of their entire team, and that's what happened. That's what happened. So you have two very different teams that aren't as good as they were, and they weren't even that great to begin with going up against the White Sox. But then we said, starting with that Field of Dreams game and the Yankees, you're going to have one hell of a stretch. But I'm going to tell you this right now, Ed. If you lose two out of three to the Yankees, you split with the A's, you win two out of three against the Rays, and you split with the Blue Jays and go 500 during this stretch for the next two weeks, after you're done with this twin series, White Sox fans should say, I'm cool with it, and let's move on and continue to make hay against everybody else. I don't think that's the case, though. I think they're going to surprise some people because they've got some of their big bats back in the lineup. It's fine for them to go 500 against those teams because they'll probably increase their division lead, first of all, during that stretch because 
why wouldn't you and at this point? I'm of the opinion that you are using this time at this point, and if you're if you're the White Sox players, you are trying to work some stuff out. Okay, so if you're Luis Robert, you're trying to get your timing back. If you're Aloy Jimenez, you're trying to catch up on all those home runs you missed. If you are Larry Garcia, you're trying to prove to fans that you're not completely useless. You know, just and, and I think Tony's going to trot some guys out. I think that they are going to, uh, you know, he's going to play some mix and match with some lineups. He's going to use this time to give some guys some days off. So you are going to see this stretch of games maybe not be everybody at their absolute playoff best. But also, yeah, go ahead. You know, go up against these teams, lull them into a false sense of security, and then turn around and, you know, step on the Cubs and Pirates and, you know, crush their um, groin areas too. Wow. Wow, that got really weird there at the end. Okay, listen, I want to talk about the Leary Garcia thing. Uh, Leary Garcia, a lot of people are complaining that he's always in the lineup. That's changing. If, it feels if, that way, if but you, yeah. If you looked over the last, like I went on the fan graphs, he's playing 50% of the starting lineups right now, recently over the last week or so, and it's going to get even worse for him trying to find room in the lineup now that Robert's back. Because at this point, Leary Garcia is a backup middle infielder, right? I mean, like if he's being used for anything else, when you have the likes of Robert, Jimenez, Vaughn, Goodwin, and Angle, all available to go out into your outfield, not to mention a Jake Lamb who's been back and still hadn't seen a starting lineup in his first four days back as we sit down to record this episode. There are way too many options for me to send Larry Garcia out into the outfield ever again. And so it's going to be very hard to find him playing time on this team. And Tony, I don't think, wants anybody to be cold. But in reality, if you had anybody else, if you had anybody that could come anything close to just the major league average for OPS, who could just be an average ball player at the plate, who could play second and short, Leary Garcia would no longer be a member of the team. Like, Leary Garcia is going to be one of those guys we talk about in the offseason, like, we can upgrade that, right? I feel like that's the conversation we'll have. Well, yeah, and and it's I think the perception is, is that 50% of the lineups is still... 50% of the lineup's too many for some people's liking when it comes to Leary, but you're right. He does not need to be in the outfield anymore, uh, you know, maybe in an extra inning game or something like that, or or if if there's a pitcher that he absolutely crushes that for some reason, you know, you, you don't want Vaughn or Goodwin or Engel to face, maybe you could do that. Or if Tony wants to make sure that Robert's hip is – well-rested and back, and they treat him the way they've treated Engel most of this season where they're not playing him a lot of games in a row. They're, you know, they're kind of letting him rest that leg up. I'm okay with that too, but I I, I don't want to see Leary in that situation. What I want to see is I want to see more Vaughn and right field getting some reps out there because if you decide that that's who you're rolling with for the rest of the season or into next year, it's better now than it would be, you know, come crunch time for him to, to potentially misread a ball because it, it, it's a little different going left, you know, to, to right field. But, yeah, if if Andrew Vaughn could play shortstop, which at this point I'm pretty much convinced he could do whatever you ask him to do on the field, I don't know that Larry Garcia is going to be sticking around. You know, what I, I found really interesting was the fact that he's working out now at second base almost on the regular with Miguel Cairo. And that's the White Sox, I think, saying, we have an athlete. Like, could he be Max Muncy in the future? Like, wouldn't that be amazing? 
Like a guy that you're yeah. like, well, you know, he can't play short and he can't catch, but he can move around and he can hit the hell out of the ball. And if we could find a way to put him at second base, even if his defense is in gold glove caliber, or if he could at least be an option if you decide you're going to pick up the option of Cesar Hernandez next year and you're going to sit there and say, okay, fine. And then Vaughn is really his backup. If, if, and if Hernandez is capable every once in a while when Anderson needs a day off to move over to short, you almost eliminate the need for Leary next year. You could almost have your team with a Jake Berger coming off the bench and a Gavin Sheets coming off the bench and your backup catcher coming off the bench. And with all these outfielders you have, I believe it would be either, you know, Angle or you, you, you would have plenty of outfielders, plenty of outfield options for that fourth spot. And you wouldn't even need him anymore. So I feel like the White Sox are, they, they, it seems like over the last couple of years, one of the big things that they preach, even in their minor league system, is we want guys to play multiple positions. And Vaughn never went through all of that in the development process because he barely spent any time in the minor leagues. So I think they're trying to figure out, well, what can you do, young man? You've already impressed us with your ability to play corner outfield positions and still go out and hit the crap out of the ball. But can you can you stand here too? Because if you can stand here, you give us an awful lot of options. Even in the postseason, he gives them options because you at least have a capable backup you could put there in case of an emergency if something happens to Hernandez. I feel like that's what they're trying to do down the stretch. Socks in the basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the south side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Let me talk real quick about Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, let's let's stay on Andrew Vaughn for a second because I'm, I he's I think the most fascinating guy on the roster. I, I want people to understand what you're seeing here with Andrew Vaughn. First off, what you're seeing at this very moment, just raw stats, is a guy who's hitting 264 and has a 117 OPS plus, which means he's above average from the league. His actual OPS is 791, but all of that is even climbing. That's what's incredible about it. And before I get to how it's climbing and break that down for you, he is the equivalent of Jose Abreu. They have the same OPS plus. He's one point higher than Yoan Moncada. He's three points higher than Tim Anderson. Like when you're trying to figure out his value to the team, he is one of the stars on your team. You And that's a lot to put on a rookie. So Tony's done a great job of keeping him lower in the lineup instead of relying on him. He'll be in the middle of your lineup very soon, White Sox fans, for a long time. And he actually used him the other day. It's really funny. He put him in front of Moncada, who I think is, like I said before, disinterested. You know, Moncada looks at me like a guy who looks at the standings and goes, we got this. Let's just have some fun. Put my music on. Let me dance to it at third base during warmups between the inning. And he moved him above Moncada. And since then, Moncada's getting on base again over the last four games. 
but he flipped him up there, I want to say about four or five games ago, and switched their spots in the lineup for one day. And it was kind of like, hey, Yo-Yo, you want to keep sliding down the lineup? Because, like, we've got lots of good players on this team, and we've got good guys coming back, and you'll, you'll be sitting in the eighth spot if you keep looking like that in the, in the, in the order. But Andrew Vaughn, focus on him. Ed, you want to know what this guy was doing at the very end of June? I want to bring this up for you. Why don't you give me a guess? Where do you think he was at the end of June? Give me like a, a batting average and what you think he was doing with his OPS because it's incredible what he has done since then. Well, if I had to guess, I would say he was at about 222 with an OPS of somewhere in the neighborhood of, say, uh, 688. Those are actually his exact numbers on the 27th of June. At the very end of June, he had ticked up a little bit, but let's call that the low point. We'll go to the 27th of June. Yeah. It's almost as if you pulled up the stats while I asked the question. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe I did. I, I'm not sure. All right, here's a guy who's hitting 222 on June the 27th with a 688 OPS. Below 700, something I've always said. When you're below 700, well, you're Leary Garcia. Okay, that's, that's what you are. You're a fill-in backup, but he's a rookie and he's learning. Since that time, he has raised his average 40 points to 264. He's got his OPS over 100 points higher. I mean, we're talking just a hair over a month since then. He's up to 791. And when you look at his log, like all of his games, those numbers go up almost consistently every single day. He, he figured it out. And if you took away the, the, the getting used to Major League Baseball part of the beginning half of his season, you could make the argument. He is one of, if that the, I mean, although I do still think Aloy Jimenez is the most dangerous hitter on the team, and don't forget what Tim Anderson has done over the last couple of years, but you would put him up in that category. You'd put him above Jose Abreu, because even with that terrible start, he's equal to him right now, which is astounding to me. And that isn't a knock on Jose Abreu. That's, that's just awe of Andrew Vaughn. Well, and it's also something that you would kind of hope for, right? You have Jose, who is, well, he's on his way on the downslide, right? There's no there's no doubt about it. He's he's not a young man. And then you've got Vaughn, who's coming up. But I, I you know, as you started looking at it, and, and as you were talking about Andrew Vaughn, I was I was trying to, to look for myself a little bit here as to what, you know, what the difference is. Now, the big thing with Vaughn is, is that he's – striking out way less. He's doing way better swinging at strikes. And actually, Fangraphs pointed out that there was a big old loop in his swing to start the season where he was loading his hands and making by, like a big circle before he would actually start his swing. And that's all but gone. And he's back to his, you know, kind of his college swing, what you would see when when they drafted him of being a lot quieter and a lot quicker through the zone. And that, that bodes well because what that says is that – that early stuff that we saw in May and April where he was struggling, that was just that, that struggles. It's not who Andrew Vaughn really was, and this is not something where guys gave up on him as pitchers and were like, eh, just throw him the heater right down the middle. No, I, you know, they're, they're still throwing him fastballs, but he's getting there, and he's making contact with them, and he's still struggling, you know, from what I can see in this article that I'm reading – He's still struggling with sliders and curveballs, especially from righties, and that's, you know, I think to be expected for a guy who's still a rookie. And you figure he'll make adjustments on that as time goes on. But man, oh man, yeah. If you if you were to take that first couple of months out, let's say that 
let's say that they had not needed him in the majors and had gone with Yermin as the DH because Aloy hadn't been hurt, right? And they said, you know what? We're going to put Andrew in AAA, or we're going to put him down in Birmingham for, for the first two months uh, and let him, you know, there's some things we see that we're going to let him work out. And it might have been a Chris Bryant kind of fallout, but if he had just come up then July 1st, right, and started in hitting the way he's hit since the end of June, wouldn't we be looking at him going, oh, he's, a, he's rookie of the year right here. There's no there's no question about it. He's, he's absolutely completely the rookie of the year, and frankly, he probably still could be. And the thing is, he's starting to do it against right-handed pitching because he he never really had a problem with the left-handed pitching. But now he's doing against righties. And when, I'll go back to that comparison with Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu is is kind of what we said that he was before the 2020 season here on Sox in the Basement. A really good player, a team leader, you know, the the heartbeat of that team, the father figure of that team, who's also starting to show splits that he doesn't hit righties near as well as he hits lefties. And he's back to that this year, all right? That doesn't mean that he's not a good player. Remember when Ozzie Guillen made the switch in the lineup? Like, he kind of changed the middle of his lineup. He changed the three-hitter with, like, two weeks to go before the postseason in 05. And it, you can't say it didn't pay off because that team went 11-1 and through the postseason. But he changed who his three-hitter was. Now, he didn't have Frank Thomas. It would have just been the rock in the middle of it, but... But leading into that, he had been using Carl Everett there almost all the time. And then eventually, he just, he tried out Pierzynski there for a couple of games, and then he put Jermaine Dye there, and Jermaine Dye goes on to win the MVP of the World Series, although I thought it should have been Joe Creedy. But Dye performed in that spot. You wouldn't be totally wrong towards the end of the season if you have all these guys clicking, and you have Grandal, and you have Jimenez, and you have Robert back, to not have Abreu in the three spot because when you, especially against righties, because he doesn't line up as well against them as some of the other guys in your lineup. And to have that in your three spot isn't the greatest thing in the world. But that's a completely different conversation down the line. Andrew Vaughn has the same issue right now if you look at his overall numbers, but he's he's going way up. He's starting to catch up against righties. He's still sub 700 with his OPS against right handed pitching, but it was far worse just a month ago. If he can continue to hit against righties, he's going to be one heck of a complete player, and that's when he becomes so very dangerous. And once again, what a testament for all the flack that I will give. And and I, I was thinking about this today, Ed. The amount of flack that I gave for lineup construction last year, and I was angry about it, and I was like, who's making these decisions? And I could never imagine Rick Renteria making sure that everybody gets a chance to play so they stay fresh but also making sure that all of these guys perform or are in the right spot to perform in the same way that what Tony La Russa has done. The fact that Tony La Russa has pretty much every player on this team who's played on the regular, with the exception of Larry Garcia and Zach Collins, at the 100 or higher when it comes to OPS+. He's platooning them in the perfect uh, situations. He, he's using them in the right situations. It's been excellent. But it also points, once again, you look now at player development, you look at the draft, you look at the selection of Andrew Vaughn, and and knowing that he was ready to be brought up, and knowing that he could be used, even though I, this is not the way they wanted to introduce him to the majors with Jimenez going down, but he gets this everyday playing time, and look what they have. If Rick Hahn is not the executive of the year, it's a travesty. And the fact that I'm seeing rookie of the year balloting or people that are kind of guessing, like I've seen some articles recently about who should be up for rookie of the year and I'm not seeing Andrew Vaughn in there, that, that again, that goes back to the fact the White Sox don't exist outside of Chicago, outside of the South Side, really. 
Okay, but they're wrong because you should definitely be getting a look at it. Ed, let's talk about Cork and Carrie at the park. Oh, let's do that. I like that. I was just there uh, just uh, just about a week or so ago. I uh, stopped in with my wife. Had a great time. I've gone on this low-carb thing or no-carb thing. I went on Atkins. I've already lost something like 12 pounds in 13 days because I was a fatty. And uh, I'm now I'm like kind of a fatty, but I, I got to get lower. I went in there and I had to get myself one of their burgers without the bun. You can get that Latino burger with the chorizo on it. I mean, like it's incredible with the cheese and the avocado, all that stuff. Absolutely amazing. I didn't need the bun. I just had the chipotle no. mayo with that sucker. It was, um, if you want the bun, it's probably even better. It's a good bun, but bun optional. I know. The the award-winning burgers, the incredible ballpark food, the fact that when you show up to order your food, it comes out quickly, unlike in the ballpark. The fact that they have the full beer selection <laughs> and, you don't, and you don't have to stand in line for an hour. Like, if you're not pre-partying at the cork, you're out of your mind. And if you're not post-partying there... While the Office of Emergency Management is sending everybody from the south side towards the circle down the Dan Ryan because they won't let anybody turn south and you're in the middle of a massive traffic jam on a Tuesday night or an even worse one on the weekend, walk over to the cork, let all those people fight traffic and deal with that craziness and then pull out about an hour later, head home and then you got a great meal and you got a great time and you bookended your trip. 33rd and Princeton, right in the shadow of the ballpark. Find out everything they're about at corkandcarryatthepark.com. We've talked a lot about these players. I'm in awe of the fact when I go down the White Sox stat list, the amount of guys that are like anywhere between a 114 to a 120 OPS plus on this team in the starting lineup, and the amount of guys that are used sparingly, like a Brian Goodwin. He's having an incredible year compared to what he normally does statistically because of the way he's being used. Angle with a 138 OPS plus. Cesar Hernandez, since he got to the White Sox, a 138 OPS plus. Like, Tony's got to be sitting there saying to himself, I know Robert should be the two hitter, but look what Hernandez is when I put him with that lineup behind him and they have to throw him a pitch in between Anderson and Abreu before Jimenez comes up. Like, look at the production he puts in. So it's going to be really interesting watching what Tony does in the next couple of months. But what do you think he's going to do in the postseason? I know you wanted to talk about this. Well, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that if if fans wanted to be, you know, find the silver lining of a Tony La Russa hire back when this happened and they were, weren't sure about it. The one thing, you, if you really look back at his championship teams – there's a lot of this going on where he had a couple of really notable names, but then the rest of the team, kind of guys that history has forgotten, you know, with those A's teams and with the, the, the Cardinals teams. One thing I do like about him is is his ability to kind of, like you said, mix and match here and figure out where guys should be and where, where they should play. But there's sort of an embarrassment of riches, right? Because we're, we're sitting here talking about an outfield where, in theory, your starting outfield is Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn, Adam Angle, you know, four guys that could be starting. Brian Goodwin could be starting, you know, for the most part. If Billy Hamilton comes back and is is available for the playoff roster, which I, he he would be eligible, uh, you know, assuming he's not hurt, he's a guy that doesn't factor into the rotation offensively, but certainly, you know, is there as a defensive replacement and a guy that could take up a roster spot for a number of other reasons. 
So how do you how do you fit all of these guys in, and where do you fit these guys? And does somebody like, for example, Larry Garcia, do you sit there and go, well, you know, worst case scenario, Cesar has to slide over to short, and we got to find somebody else to play second. We don't really have any use for him because we want to keep a Jake Lamb on the team who's got more value offensively. I mean, how do you where do you go with it? I, I think is is the question. And then a guy like Gavin Sheets who just got sent down, but certainly could be up here playing. Right, because remember, if you're on the 40-man roster, it's a little bit different this year than it was last year, and I know I've seen some people with some confusion over how this works. Last year, they had different rules for who was eligible to make a playoff team. You go to the MLB website, it's pretty clear. So what you have is anybody that's on your 60-day IL or on your 40-man roster going into the month of September, those guys are all eligible to make your postseason roster. So even if Sheets doesn't come back until September call-ups, he's sitting on the 40-man roster, you could see him put on a playoff roster for a certain series. So again, that goes back to what we said at the beginning of the show. They're working on Andrew Vaughn at second base. They're trying to figure out, can we load our roster a certain way where we could cover second base if we wanted to add another bat, if we want another left-handed bat like Sheets that we could use in a situation that could come off the bench. Are we able to do that if we're able to spare the team Larry Garcia? If everybody's healthy, you don't need a backup outfielder in Larry. And and also, they're trying to figure out, can we keep Hamilton on the roster? Can we put him on for some extra speed late in the game if we have to have him come in and pinch run? So there's all these things they're trying to figure out right now. I think the, the roster will be a, a very interesting puzzle to put together. But I do not think this team knows exactly what they're going to do. They kind of... They know their options. They probably have like a bunch of different guys that they're like, this guy could be it. This guy could not be it. If I decide to do this against this team, can we survive if we don't have this guy in the bench? I, I, the only things I know for sure is I think Zebby Zavala is going to definitely be your backup catcher. And Zach Collins is going to have a hard time getting on there unless they're saying we, we like something he does at the plate. And I don't know what that would be because even Zebby is up above 100 OPS plus. He's already at the league average. Collins is nowhere near that. So I, right now, just looking at raw stats, it doesn't make any sense. Looking at the fact that LaRusso is playing Zavala almost all the time, it doesn't look like that's the case. I, I, Zach Collins would be, if, if I had to put down money, he would have very, very long odds, in my opinion, of making the postseason roster. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's the one thing that's interesting is we've been watching Zach Collins all season long and, and kind of, you know, for me, I was like, all right, his defense is better than I thought it was going to be. It's not fantastic, but it's better. Guys seem to like throwing to him for the most part, uh, you know, and his bat still just doesn't impress me. And then Zavala, whose knock as a catcher in the minors was that he wasn't really an offensive catcher, but he comes up and, and you know, he's got a hard hit percentage right now of 34.4, which is, well, you know, it, it, it's, it's right up there with some of the other guys on this team that we have been sitting here going, well, yeah, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be part of it. He's right there with Brian Goodwin, you know, he's actually hitting pretty well in a limited role. And when Grandal comes back, you're looking at a guy, well, do you think Sebi's a better receiver behind the plate? And yes. has he been a better game caller? Yes. And is he a better pitch framer? Yes. And then you check all those boxes off and you sit there and go, well, okay, I think. I think we have a winner here, folks, because we don't need Zach Collins' left-hand bat. L- listen, th- this is very easy to compare these guys. W- would you rather have the better defensive catcher who's hitting 220 with a 744 OPS and a 103 OPS plus, or would you have rather have the the lesser 
defensive catcher who's hitting 197 with a 653 OPS and an 82 OPS plus. Like, like, like if if somehow Collins makes the playoff roster, my jaw is going to be on the floor because there's just way too many options to carry three catchers, and there's and there's way there's way too much leaning towards Zavala right now. I mean, there's still there's still a couple months left here, but right now, if I had to pick it, that that would be an automatic. Before we get out of here, though, one final question: If you were a betting man. And somebody told you, well, Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodan are definitely in your top three pitchers when you're figuring out your rotation for the playoffs. But who's the third best pitcher, especially if you get into a situation where you 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 may you don't know what Tony's going to do. He might might do a thing where he just does a three man rotation in the postseason. I have no idea what he's going to do. But pick that third best pitcher that you trust more. Is it Cease or is it Giolito? Ooh, uh, I think. It's still Giolito, even though he occasionally throws up a clunker and it feels like Cease hasn't had that quite as much. And I only say that because I look at what Cease has from a stuff standpoint and I can see where everybody can look at it and go, if we got to keep a short leash on Lucas Giolito or we got to keep a short leash on Dallas Keuchel because we're going to start him because he doesn't really profile as a guy who's going to come in out of the bullpen and give you much of anything... Dylan Cease's ability to come in and pitch multiple innings and and have a short leash on somebody like Giolito if he just doesn't have it, to bring in Cease who's throwing 99-mile-an-hour fastballs, high spin rate stuff as far as his breaking balls and as far as the heaters, that plays just as easy out of the pen as it would from batter number one of the game. So I could see from a stuff standpoint them saying Cease, Cease just seems to flow better from what we could look at from a bullpen standpoint, kind of like the way Michael Kopech, his stuff plays really well out of the pen, but you wouldn't hesitate to start him either, you know, in that scenario because he's Michael Kopech, right? I mean, it's just, it, it's, I think that's where it looks at. And I don't know if you can parse that out statistically necessarily, but I, I would say it's Giolito and even to a certain degree, Keiko, if they're going to go with a four-man starting, and I could now see Dylan Cease being a guy that they're just going to sit there and say, First man up in case things go wrong. Oh, I hate that. I hate what you just said. I don't agree with you in any way. We're going to have to fight now. We're going to end the show. I'm going to play the song. I want everybody to imagine me and and Ed tussling right here at the bar. There's absolutely no way Dallas Keuchel should be one of the four pitchers that start a game in the postseason right now. He he in no. I, I hope he doesn't, and, and I hope that it really is that Keuchel. Actually, you want to talk about playoff roster construction? Uh, how would you feel about Dallas Keuchel not being on the playoff roster? Yeah, well, you know what? I wouldn't have a problem with it right now, the way that he pitches. And when you compare him to the other four guys, although I think the team would have to keep him on the roster because they're going to have him on their team for the next couple of years, and you're going to have a very, very upset Dallas Keuchel. So if you're going to do that, you're almost looking to trade him in the offseason. I think he makes the roster, and you barely ever see him do anything. Like, he might just be sitting there with one of the best seats in the house, but I, I just can't imagine him starting a playoff game right now unless something happens to one of those other four guys or he all of a sudden turns it on and gets really hot and proves that he should be there in the final six, seven weeks of the season. Like he just gets on fire and you're able to look back and say, well, really over the last five, six, seven weeks, he's one of our best. And you're able to convince yourself he should be the guy in there. That's it. Otherwise, oh my goodness, if he takes the mound during the postseason, I'm going to have a headache for at least the first several innings until he's replaced. And then I'm going to hope this team can come back from the deficit that he put him under. 
Yeah, that all makes sense. I don't know if we have to fight about any of that stuff, but uh, if you just want to tussle no, we're anyway, fighting. just for the heck no, of it. No, we're fighting, you know, Ed. Um, we're fight. Play the song. We're fighting, Ed. Get ready. All right. You, you, you've lost weight. You be skins. I'll be shirts. <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.